This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Let's take our Bibles tonight and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you would, please. Uh, when Pastor Asher contacted me about the conference, Brother Radice communicated with me as well, uh, and we, we began to talk about the theme. I was very excited about your theme. When I was pastoring in Raleigh, North Carolina for 10 years and then Community Baptist in South Bend, Indiana for 13, now that's hard to believe we've been now with Baptist World almost 14 years. And uh, so when I was in those pastorates, we would have guest speakers in and we would have a missions conference, we would have a theme, we would have banners, all of the decorations, and it always irritated me when the speaker would totally ignore the theme. I mean, just like the theme did not exist. And so when we came with Baptist World, I determined that by God's grace, I would pray when there was a conference theme and ask the Lord how we could develop that theme in a, a logical progression through the week. So that's what we're going to be doing beginning tonight all the way through Sunday morning. And the theme of your conference is Declaring His Glory. And as I was thinking about that, the, the passage came to my mind from 2 Corinthians 4, 4. You don't need to turn there. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. But in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Paul talks about what the King James translates, the glorious gospel of Christ. But literally, the Greek, the structure of the Greek, that phrase can be translated the gospel of the glory of Christ. Because, dear friend, the gospel is essentially the story of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. A number of years ago, we had one of our missionary families serving in the country of Germany. Uh, they were there prior to the wall going down for a brief period of time, and then the wall fell. They were in what was formerly eastern Germany. And they had been there at the time about seven or eight years, and no one had been saved. And they were coming to a conference that BWM had there in Europe, and, and I was preaching at that conference. This was a number of years ago, and they were very discouraged. And I made the statement that if, if you spent a lifetime as a God-called missionary to the country of Germany, and, and you declared the glory of Jesus Christ faithfully, door-to-door, -door, and faithfully in preaching, and no one ever got saved, you were a faithful, effective missionary. You were a biblical missionary. Because, folks, our job is not to save sinners. That's God's job. Our job is to declare the glory of Jesus Christ biblically. And now, the wonderful thing is that Christ said he would build his church and that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And so we know that a missionary is not going to spend a lifetime preaching and nobody getting saved because Christ is going to take out of every tribe, tongue, kindred, and nation a people for his name's sake. And the good news is that missionary family went back to East Germany and they continued to preach and today there is a vital, dynamic local church in Dresden, Germany where they planted many years ago faithfully serving the Lord. So what was the point of that message to those missionaries? We have a responsibility to declare the glory of Jesus Christ no matter what man's response is. We're to be faithful in declaring his glory. And that is exactly what Paul's theme is here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 
Paul is writing to a church, a young church, made up predominantly of Greek people who came to Christ. There are also some former Jews in this church. But Paul is writing to them to contrast the glory of Jesus Christ with the glory of man and this world. Folks, we are living today in a world of rapid change. You understand that. There is today an increase in our society of knowledge, and that increase of knowledge has led to a greater emphasis on immediate gratification. Uh, you know, email has become almost passe because there are so many faster forms of instant messaging than email. Why? Because we want immediate gratification. There is so much today in our culture that has become perverse because man is being conditioned today to give into his desires and to have them right now. That is the emphasis of our world, whatever those desires may be. And so Paul is dealing with a culture very similar, this Corinthian culture, this Greek culture that was very pagan and very sensual and very much involved in immediate gratification. And what is he doing? He is presenting the glories of Jesus Christ. So that is where we begin tonight. Let me challenge you by the words of Dr. Gene Edward Veith. As he wrote an article, it'll take me a moment to read this, about presenting the gospel, the glories of Jesus Christ in the contemporary world in which we live. This is what he said. Astonishingly, the attacks on the gospel today are coming from the ranks of Christians themselves. Classical Protestantism has always taught that Jesus died to save sinners. But many contemporary evangelicals are downplaying sin, salvation, and the atonement. The new gospel replaces salvation with therapy. Sin gives way to self-esteem. The doctrine of justification by faith is replaced with the doctrine of positive thinking. This new version of Christianity recasts the Bible from the word of salvation into a step-by-step -step manual for happy living. Because after all, isn't God's will for each of us to be happy? And then he says, the hard edges of historic Christianity, the Bible's stern moral demands, unpleasant doctrines such as hell, Christ as the one way of salvation, these are being minimized by Christians in an effort to reduce Christianity to a feel-good religion. The focus of the new theology is not God, but man. Objective doctrines are replaced by subjective experiences. Worshiping a holy God gives way to entertaining the congregation. Such notions may promote church growth, but he says they are not historic Christianity. And so, folks, in our world, especially in the United States today, we are battling a Christianity that has lost the glory of Jesus Christ. And they have followed the glory of man. Whether it's technology or sensual gratification, it has become about man. And so Paul is writing to the Corinthians in chapter 1, and he is reminding them that this gospel of the glory of Christ is superior to anything that man can offer. And he picks up on the three themes that these Corinthians would have known. At Corinth, they were primarily Greeks. The Greeks loved wisdom. At Corinth, there were also Jewish Christians in the church. And the Jews loved power. 
So in this passage, Paul is going to chapter 1, and he's going to develop it, and we'll be looking at related themes about it this week. Paul is going to develop the superiority of Jesus Christ to the wisdom of man and the power of man, and he is going to declare the glory of Jesus Christ. So let's pray tonight as we open this wonderful text. Father, I pray that you would now help us as we read these verses and make these observations. Lord, to lose the enamorment that we have with this world and with its folly. And Lord, that we would see the glory of Jesus Christ, the gospel of the glory of Christ. I pray that it would be manifested as we introduce this series tonight. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing tonight I want you to see about the character of the glory of Christ, and that's what we're dealing with, is number one, the gospel message is God's unique revelation of his wisdom. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching. What are we preaching? The glory of Christ to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ, crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So Paul begins this emphasis by reminding us that the gospel message is God's unique revelation of his wisdom. The Greeks loved wisdom. You know the names Aristotle, Plato, Socrates. These are heroes of the Greek world during the time of the Apostle Paul. And they were heroes because they, they, they fulfilled the expectation of the Greek people about the great wisdom of man. And they, they were their heroes. They were their champions. And you know, to some degree, we are guilty in America today of making champions or heroes out of those who have worldly wisdom. Uh, you know, remember going through the COVID experience that we went through, you heard time and time again, just follow the science. But folks, science is not God. And science is actually something that the Bible says can be falsely so-called when we make science or scientific laws based on the folly of man's wisdom. And yet that's what's been happening in our world. What about the, the heroes of technology today? I mean, you know, if, if you don't have the latest iPhone, whatever that is, there is something wrong with you. I mean, our world is rapidly worshiping at the idolatry of technology. And those people who know how to make really good technology are very wealthy. Those people who know how to uh, craft a good business plan on marketing that technology become very wealthy because our world is designed to honor the wisdom of men. And the Greeks were doing that. 
So Paul reminds these believers in this little church at Corinth that the wisdom of man is totally inferior to the wisdom of God. How many times have you been uh, given an opportunity to present the gospel to someone that maybe you thought they were really educated or they had a lot of money or they were well-known in the community and you kind of felt inferior because after all, I'm just a Christian and I just go to Good News Baptist Church. Folks, Paul is saying that the wisdom of God and the gospel is far greater than any wisdom that man can ever offer, and we are simply to declare the glories of Jesus Christ. So notice what Paul says in verse 21. Number one, the wisdom of man is incapable of comprehending God. You cannot know God through human intellect. You cannot know God through human wisdom. Verse 21 says, For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. James says very similar words in his writings, except he says that the wisdom of this world is earthly, sensual, and devilish. So let's take a moment. We won't turn there, but let's talk about that. What does James mean when he says that the wisdom of this world is earthly? The literal Greek word translated earthly means bound by limitations. In other words, human wisdom can only take you so far. Human wisdom can't help your family be spiritual. Human wisdom can't help you know God. Paul says wisdom of man does not bring us to God. Paul, uh, James said it is earthly. Uh, James said it is sensual. The word sensual, earthly sensual, is the idea of, of coming out of our base senses. Worldly wisdom says if it feels good, what? Do it. That's worldly wisdom. That's why today we have the problem of transgenderism. That's why we have the issues today with the advance of the homosexual agenda is because this world has bought into a wisdom that is earthly, sensual, and devilish, and it says if it feels good, do it. And then James says it is devilish. And the concept there in James' statement about the wisdom of this world being earthly, sensual, devilish, the idea of the word devilish in the Greek language is the idea of being related to the devil. And the devil is the author of pride. So James is saying that, that man in his pride and in his arrogance is going to say whatever I want to do, I will do it and nobody will tell me what to do, including God. And that kind of wisdom can never bring you any spiritual benefit. The wisdom of man is incapable of comprehending God. But then Paul says in verse 24 that the wisdom of God is centered in the revelation of Jesus Christ. If we can't know how to be saved, if we can't find God in our own human wisdom, if there is no way for us to come to salvation in our own thinking, in our own merits, or anyone else's thinking or merits, how will we know God? And Paul says it's through God giving us the revelation of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, through the gospel. Verse 24, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. So it's very clear that Paul is saying that Christ is the one that we preach. We declare his glories. Many years ago, there was a gentleman named Lindsey Gregg who lived in London. 
and he was a member of a fundamental Bible-believing church uh, that preached the gospel. But very gradually over the years, as a young man, his pastor embraced liberal theology. This was back during the time when, when uh, German higher criticism was coming out of England, uh, out, of, out of Germany, and it, he, his pastor there in London embraced it. He was led away from the scriptures, and he began to doubt the things of God until his life literally fell apart, and he simply returned to the Bible. And Greg wrote these words about what God did for him in bringing him back to himself as a prescription for young people. This is what he said. Read the Bible. Keep at the foot of the cross. Keep close to the Savior. Make much of his virgin birth, his deity, his sinless life, his atoning death, his indisputable resurrection, his high priestly ministry, his certain return as judge and Lord of all. Make much of Christ. And that is exactly what Paul is saying. Paul is saying all the wisdom of man, all the wisdom of this world cannot bring any person to God, but you and I have something that we hold in our hands, the revelation of God, which is able to make a man know God as we declare the glories of Jesus Christ. So number one, the gospel message is God's unique revelation of his wisdom. But then Paul also says that this gospel message is God's unique demonstration of his power because God is not content, if I can say it that way, with simply revealing that he exists. He wants to demonstrate his power as the God of the ages. And so look at verse 22. He now talks, he's been talking about the Greeks. The Greeks are pursuing wisdom. They want human wisdom, but it will never bring them to God. They need the gospel. But the same is true for the Jews, he says in verse 22. For the Jews require a sign. Now what does that mean? You remember when the Lord Jesus walked on the earth, there were men who said to him, you know, uh, if you're the, the Messiah, show us a sign. And he said, no sign will be given unto you except the sign of Jonah, referring to his death, burial, and resurrection. But the Jews want a sign. Why? Because in their concept theologically, if God is powerful, he can do powerful signs. And so the Jews are all about power. You know the power that the Jews wanted above every other power? Was to overthrow Rome and to rule the world politically. During the time of the Lord Jesus Christ and during the time of Paul, the Jews were zealots. They, they wanted a Messiah from the Old Testament to come and to overthrow Rome, and, and so then they would rule the world as the Jewish people. That's why when Christ would be walking with the disciples in the way and he would be telling them about his coming death, they would be arguing about who was going to be greatest in his kingdom because they wanted power. You know, we have a country that is in a power grab, don't we have that? Not too far from the state of Virginia is a place called Washington, D.C., and men today glory in power. But you know what, folks? That power cannot bring anyone to God. It is totally purposeless. It is empty of any value. It is simply human power. And so Paul, looking at the great Roman Empire that the Jewish people desired to conquer in power, Paul said that Jesus Christ is the real power. He's the power of God unto salvation. 
So the gospel message is God's unique demonstration of his power. And the development of this, and we won't have time to look at all of this tonight and probably won't get to all of it this, this week in the series. Paul mentions and references repeatedly in his epistles and certainly here in Corinthians the creative power of God. Folks, think about how God created in a moment he spoke and the stars existed. You know, I, I've seen some of the images from the Hubble telescope. I've seen some of that technology. And the fact that God can span the oceans in his hand, the fact that God has the power of creation is absolutely amazing. God in his creative power spoke and the worlds came into existence. But did you know that the power of Christ's redemption is even greater than the power of creation? Because God did not speak for our redemption. He sent his son to the earth for our redemption. And Jesus had to come to this planet and live 33 years on this planet. And he had to die and be raised from the dead because it took a great work of power for us to be redeemed, for every sinner to be brought into the salvation plan of God by grace. So it's interesting to me that as we look at the words in the Gospels especially, but also in the epistles, there is an emphasis over and over again that everything about the life of Jesus Christ was testimony to the power of God. Think about it. It was by the power of God that Jesus came in the incarnation. We're going to be celebrating Christmas in, in a few months here, a couple of months. And it was by the power of God. The scriptures say of us, when the angel came to Mary, the angel announced, the Holy Ghost shall come upon you, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Folks, Jesus was conceived by the power of God. By the power of God, Christ lived. Christ was fully man. And yet, being fully God, he lived 33 years a sinless life. Folks, that is the power of God. Now, I'm here to confess to you, now, I can't get through one day, even as a Christian, without sinning. I can't get through one day without, without doubts and fears and, and unbelief attacking and, and those lusts that war in my members. We all know the futility of trying to be holy, but Jesus, for 33 years, never had an evil thought, never did an evil deed. How did he live? He lived by the power of the Spirit, by the power of his Father. By the power of God, Christ died. The scripture makes it clear in verse 18, the preaching of the cross is the power of God. What is the preaching of the cross? His death, burial, and resurrection. Folks, do you know Jesus did not die because men killed him? He lay his life down freely, and he did it by the power of God. By the power of God, Christ rose from the dead. Ephesians 1.19 speaks of the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Folks, the great demonstration of the power of God, the greatest power that has ever existed, is the fact that he raised himself from the dead that third day. He demonstrated his, his uh, deity by the resurrection from the dead, Romans 1.4. Christ 
by the power of God was raised. And today, by the power of God, he saves because of the gospel. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Paul could have been writing that to the Corinthians who were ashamed because the Greeks had all of this wisdom and maybe they were hesitant to be bold with the gospel and the Jews wanted all of the power and maybe they were afraid of powerful people. But Paul said in Romans 1 that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And folks, I want to emphasize in this beginning message tonight the glory of Jesus Christ, that his power has the power to save and to change and to deliver any human on this planet. Can I share a testimony with you for just a moment about the power of God to save? I was not raised in a Christian home. You know, sometimes, Pastor, people will come up to you, and, and if you're in the ministry, and they'll say, uh, you know, where did your dad pastor a church? And I say to them, my, my dad didn't pastor a church. My dad was a pipe fitter for Eastman Kodak in East Tennessee. He was a plumber. My family was unchurched. I did not grow up in a Christian home. Uh, my dad's brothers, most of them served time in Brushy Mountain State Prison for uh, armed robbery, we would go visit them as little kids and see their metal craft and their, their leather work as they did for the government there at Brushy Mountain. Uh, we were from a rather rough background. My mother's dad, uh, we called him Granddaddy Davis. I don't think he was related to Ned, but uh, you never know. Uh, my mother was a Davis. Uh, Granddaddy Davis was a drunkard until he was 65. Uh, my mother said one Christmas that at the age of 10, a granddaddy was off on a drunk. Their mother had died years before, and granddaddy was off on a drunk, and she had to steal a chicken from a neighbor because the children were starving there in southwest Virginia and had no food. And so she remembered doing that. Granddaddy was a drunkard. He was the town drunk. He was, he was the Otis Campbell uh, without any funniness to it at all. But when he was 65, he, uh, that was about the time I was born, uh, he decided to quit drinking and, and he was going to clean up his life, and he did. But my grandfather was an agnostic. So when I came to know the Lord at the age of 10 through a vacation Bible school, uh, my grandfather found out about it and he ridiculed me because I believed in Jesus. Uh, when I was 15 and I told my grandfather that uh, God had called me to preach, my grandfather said to me, Bud, I would rather see you go to the penitentiary than be a preacher. That was my grandfather that I loved, told me that. By the way, Pastor, I woke up one day about five years ago and looked in the mirror and I saw my grandfather, that same guy in the mirror. He, he had become me. But my grandfather uh, was a very educated man. He was a very gifted man. He played the violin beautifully, but he was an agnostic and he had been most of his life a drunkard and he was lost. I gave my grandfather the gospel many times and he ridiculed me. My mother who had gotten saved and his daughter gave him the gospel and he would ridicule. But one day when my grandfather was 97 years old, my niece, his great-granddaughter, who was a young adult lady, went again to give him the gospel and my grandfather bowed his heart to Christ and was born again at the age of 97. I'll never forget my mother calling me with tears saying, my daddy just got saved. And I remember thinking, boy, poor old guy. He's gone senile finally. 
I really did. I, I, I said, well, I, that's great, Mom, but I did not believe it. So I decided to go visit my grandfather. I was pastoring at the time uh, in North Carolina, and I went to visit my grandfather. And my grandfather, who had mocked and ridiculed me, the first words out of his mouth were, Bud, will you read the Bible to me? Bud, can we sing some hymns? Bud, you know that your grandmother, my wife, who died years ago, she was a Christian, and I'm going to see her in heaven. And for three and a half years, my grandfather lived a changed life, saved at the age of 97 because of one thing, the power of the gospel. And I had the privilege of preaching my grandfather's funeral and standing by his grave and saying that someday I'll see him again because Jesus Christ has all power and the power of the gospel. So folks, why do we shrink from being bold about something that is absolutely so wonderful as the gospel of the glory of Christ? Paul says that the gospel message is God's unique revelation of his wisdom but it's also the unique demonstration of his power. But there's a third component here, and we're going to have to close. Verse 24, the gospel message is God's unique invitation of his grace. Look at what verse 24 says, but unto them which are called. That word called indicates an invitation. Unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. What is happening here is, is amazing. You have the perfect balance of the gospel truth. God not only has given us revelation of himself, he has given us a demonstration of his power in sending his son and raising him from the dead, and now he has called the church to give an invitation of himself to the whole world because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I was in a conference pastor not long ago, and there was a, a missionary there not with Baptist World Mission. And I was so glad he was not with Baptist World Mission. But he stood up and he honestly said this. He said, you should never give the gospel to someone until you have developed a deep relationship with them. And I thought to myself, why is that guy so off base biblically? Because the Lord Jesus went throughout uh, Galilee and, and, and the Jordan Valley and the regions everywhere preaching the gospel to everyone. The Apostle Paul went daily from house to house and I realized that that missionary had gotten salvation confused with discipleship. Now folks, I will say this, you will not effectively make a disciple unless you spend time with them and develop a relationship. Discipleship demands relationship. But you and I are commanded by God to preach the gospel to every creature on this planet. It's just like the guy uh, when we were flying on, on Friday into D.C. on the airplane. I had a wonderful opportunity to share the gospel with a Ph.D. candidate in philosophy from the University of Illinois. And he left saying, I'm going to check you out more. Because God put me in that seat because he wanted that man to hear the gospel. And so, folks, Paul is saying that, that we, we, are, we are called, and that calling to salvation is what he's talking about, demands an invitation. So who gives the invitation? We'll talk about that tomorrow night more, but it's the believers. It's us. So notice very quickly, God's pleasure is seen 
in the invitation of the gospel. Look at verse 21. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them the belief. You know, there are not many places in the Bible that say that something pleases God. Now, there are a few, and you, you might want to do that study. But here in this passage, Paul says that it pleases God when there is the foolishness of preaching. You know, God was pleased when I shared the gospel with that man on the airline. God is pleased when you give a gospel track at the window of the fast food uh, counter. God is pleased when you sit down with someone and do an evangelistic Bible study. God is pleased when we declare the invitation of the gospel. And why would he be pleased? Because God went to the trouble of revealing himself and his wisdom to humanity. And he went to the trouble of declaring his power by raising his son from the dead. And now he says, church, will you give the invitation? It pleases me for you to preach the gospel to the lost. God's pleasure is seen in the invitation of the gospel. God's purpose is seen in the invitation of the gospel. Look at verse 18. He says, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. Now it's very interesting, this word perish is a Greek word which not only refers to people dying and going to hell, but it also refers to the loss of well-being in this life. The word saved here not only refers to us going to heaven, but it also is talking about the abundant life that we have here and now. So what is Paul saying? Folks, the reason we give the gospel of the glory of Christ is because God has a purpose. And that purpose is that lost people would come to him and glorify him. He does not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. So God is pleased in the purpose and the preaching of the gospel, and his purpose is fulfilled by people being saved. Did you know the Lord Jesus said he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it? Did you know the Lord Jesus said he was taking out a bride for himself and someday he's going to present that bride perfect and complete in glory? That is the purpose of God. That is the eternal purpose of God. And God is pleased when we give the invitation of the gospel of the glory of Christ. But finally, and we close with this, God's program is seen in this invitation. And that's found in verses 21 and 24. 21 says, For after that in the wisdom of the God, the world by wisdom knew not God, but it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. So there is the program for men to believe. But verse 24 tells us how that happens, but unto them which are called. How shall they believe on him of whom they've not heard? That's what Paul's talking about here. So what is God's program today? God's program is to save sinners, for those sinners who are saved to become disciples and then to take that message that they have been saved by and they've been discipled in and declare it to all of the world. That's God's program, and we call it missions. And so missions is the three-legged stool. You know, I grew up on that farm in Tennessee, and Dad always wanted to keep the boys. We didn't go to church, so we didn't have anything else to do, I guess, but 
Dad wanted the boys to be very active on the farm, and so one of the things I started doing very early was milking cows by hand. And I found out very early that there is a three-legged stool that works really well for milking cows. Now, a two-legged stool is worthless. When you stand up, it falls over, okay? A four-legged stool, that fourth leg gets between you and the cow and makes it hard for you to milk the cow. But a three-legged stool is absolutely perfect for milking a cow. And folks, there is a three-legged stool for New Testament missions. It is evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. That is God's program. And we need to follow that program, and we need to prioritize that program. But don't forget that behind the program is the purpose of God, and that is that there would be a, a people who would be taken out of, of the creation, of fallen creation for his son's namesake, and they would be all to the glory of Christ. You know, folks, I believe there are people all around you here in the Chesapeake area that God wants to save. You say, how do you know that? Because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, will they all be saved? No, but God wants to save lost sinners, and he has revealed himself and his wisdom. He has the wisdom, and he's revealed it. He has the power, and he has demonstrated it in the resurrection of his son. So the remaining question is, will his church be faithful in giving the invitation to a lost and dying world. We are called to proclaim the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads together. In verse 25, Paul concludes this portion of the text with these words. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. You know, maybe, maybe you're sitting here thinking, you know, I, I'm a lay person and I don't have a lot of uh, I don't have a lot of education, I don't have a lot of wealth, I don't have a lot of uh, that maybe to be offered. Folks, if you have Christ, you have the greatest possession in all of time and eternity. You have the revelation of God, you have the power of God. Are you giving the invitation of God? Dear friend, when is the last time you went to someone and took the message of the glory of Jesus Christ to them. When's the last time you did it? Maybe you need to get some things right with the Lord tonight. Maybe you've been fearful. Maybe you've uh, had your eyes on all of the glories of this world, and Christ has paled in comparison. But folks, tonight let's return to the glory of Christ. Father, take your word now and use it, we pray in Jesus' name. Hey. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.